Welcome to Making Conversations Count, the podcast where we have business leaders share their pivotal moments to help aspiring entrepreneurs on their journey. Today in the studio, I am joined with James Daniel. He is Earth Monkey Media and does copywriting. So James, it's good to have you here. Tell everybody how we met. Thanks, Wendy. It's great to be here. Thank you. The first sort of contact that we had, I think, was uh, was via LinkedIn, wasn't it? I've been reading some emails that I, yeah, that I send out every week with copywriting tips and marketing ideas and uh, heard from you. And I know you were particularly taken with one email that had some fairly bizarre suggestions about a hippopotamus, I think, wasn't it? Yes, I That's remember it. that clearly. It certainly made me read the email when I saw hippopotamus in the text, which meant I had to reach out. I actually thought... That's really clever since I post generally on a weekly basis about a hippo somewhere along the line. I squeeze my love of hippopotamuses in for everybody to share with me. And I thought you'd written it especially for me. I had, yeah. No, it's a funny thing that injecting a little bit of humour and some vague stuff that just doesn't really seem to naturally fit with business. It just gets people reading so that you draw them into your content, you know. That's how I like to write emails. But yeah, that was our first contact, of course. And since then, we've just been chatting and thought it would be a good idea to have, uh, have, have this talk about how I sort of got to where I'm at now in my copywriting career. It's purely that conversational style over that email. I'd seen some of your posts, which is why I'd subscribed in the first place, because mm. I thought, here's somebody who really gets it, who understands that having a conversation through copy is the way to build relationships. So I subscribed yeah. and I've just been a lurker of those emails, really. And then when that one was just for me, I know because it said something about hippos, I'm going to take it that it was just for me. I just had to reach out because that is what copy is meant to do. It's supposed to speak to people. It's the power of conversation. You know, my first book that I wrote is called Do You Talk Like That at Home? And it's based on conversation that I had with somebody once. This isn't what I want to talk about. This is not your pivotal moment. No, this is not. This is not, no. But um, But it's not a conversation I had with. conversation, yeah. Yes. Somebody at work who was talking, he used to spout all sorts of corporate garbage. And we were talking about a process or other that was going on, something that needed to change. And he said to me, yes, I endorse that. And I said to him, look, I've got to ask you, do you talk like that at home? You know, if your mum says to you, do you want spaghetti hoops for tea? Do you say, I endorse that? Or do you say, yum, that sounds good to me, mum? You know, which is it? <laughs> it's conversation. We don't, we're not robotic hum- uh, sort of machines. We're human beings. We talk like this in natural sort of warm human language, as if you're sort of sat in, your, uh, in a coffee shop with your friends not sort of uh, writing a letter to the bank manager. Yes. Um, and that's that's an obsession of mine, is that conversation is key to everything. As soon as you can make people feel that you are talking to them one-to-one, exactly as we're doing here, exactly as your whole podcast is about, then you instantly build bridges. You build a relationship, a connection with them. It's based on that sort of, I say, that human, that sort of warm touch. And, and it's incredibly powerful. What you say is every bit as important as how you say it. That must be the common thread through everything that you do in running a business and helping your clients with what you do in business as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've sold everything from sort of uh, hearing aids and mattresses and to skincare treatments and an industrial safety harness, you know. I'm glad um, you said that because <laughs> I was waiting for you to say snow to Eskimos. Oh, no, no. With camels. <laughs> no, no, if you try to sell snow to, uh, to an Inuit, isn't it now? If you try to sell snow to somebody who's surrounded by snow, then you don't understand sales. You should be, you should be looking at <laughs> trying to sell elsewhere. I've worked in 
this wide range of industries, but whoever is reading your copy, whatever sort of hat they happen to be wearing that day as a consumer, as a business buyer, they're still a human being. And you might alter the tone of your conversation a little, just the same as I might talk to my best friend in one way and say my auntie in another way or something and client in another. You'd alter that, but it's still conversation. So it still needs to be the natural voice that you would adopt in that conversational environment rather than thinking, oh, I'm writing now. So it needs to be something different. When they did English essays in school and think this has got to be. I understand know. completely. Yeah, that tonality. Yeah. When mm. you have to put your posh voice on because exactly. you're off the phone and you mm. need to say this. My best friend, when I ring her, she answers the phone. Yes. Hello. Like Hyacinth Bouquet. Yeah, so it's just a standing joke now that when she rings me, I answer the phone. Yes, hello. And it's meant to be off-putting to the person if they're trying to sell something or or mm. get something because they don't really know you. Yes. That puts them off. But it's still that conversation, isn't it? If, you, if I was to just say, yes, hello, it's a bit more yeah. inviting. I think it's, it's having less sort of pretense really we're human beings we're basically whatever your sort of religious stance we're basically all shaved monkeys underneath yeah we take ourselves too seriously and if, if you recognize that whoever you're talking to you know we're mostly a meritocracy these days whoever you're talking to they know better no worse than you are they don't deserve reverence but they deserve sort of just basic sort of politeness and courtesy and you talk to them just one-to-one -one, the same as you would talk to anybody and that's that's mm. so effective I think you've just conjured up the phrase to me that we come into the world and go out of the world in exactly the same way as each yeah. other. And it's just what happens in between that makes yeah. us different. I'm going to have to look up that word that you just said. Meritocracy. Meritocracy. I'm going to have to look that up. That's, that's not a word I've come up against. So well done, the copywriter. Well, no, that's a, that's a cardinal sin for copywriters, actually, to use a word that somebody doesn't know because you <laughs> failed in your job then. You know? <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> so by, send in your comments. What's your interpretation? <laughs> by meritocracy, I mean that we get where we get on merit rather than, you know, through advancement that isn't naturally due to us. And obviously there are big conversations going on around the extent to which we still, you know, we have a meritocracy even today. But I don't think anyone would deny that we're far closer to meritocracy now than we were, say, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. We're certainly edging in that direction. And my point in that really is that the days of of having to treat people with with reverence because of status that they were born into, I think is, is long gone. You know. do, you, do you think that that's a little bit like, uh, do you know who I am? Yes. Is it, it's yeah. that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's, it's entirely that. Yes, it's, yes, I do. You're a human exactly the same as I am. There was somebody that I'd been talking and chatting to over time and is successful, however you measure that, to the point that I can't now actually get anywhere near to have a conversation. And you just go, mm. well, you're still the same person. Exactly that. Yes. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Interesting that this should come out today. Mm. So, James, conversation clearly is something that matters an awful lot to you. I think mm -hmm. you could probably adopt my strap line of making conversations count in all things that you do in your copy. Every guest that comes on, I ask them to share one pivotal moment for the listeners. Mm. So now's your big moment. Okay. Do you know, I... I... I, I struggled with this because I narrowed it down to about two or three. So there, there is one that's absolute pivotal that I'll share with you, but it was painful to sort of uh, whittle down the list. I can tell you that. <laughs> you're not um, on your own. So you're, you're kind of like, you remember Roy Plumley from Desert Island Discs? He'd say you can have one luxury and that's it. And he'd be really vicious about it. So Yeah, <laughs> that, is, it is, is hard, hard, isn't it? It's hard to think yeah. of that one thing. 
It really is. But the one I've settled on is a conversation that I had back when I worked in the corporate world with the uh, the MD uh, of the, the, sort of the Welsh region where I was working. So I, I live in Cardiff and I was working in the cable industry. Now, I'll give you a little bit of background before I get to this. So basically, I've been a writer for 32 years now between journalism and writing for radio, for TV, children's books, etc. And writing, particularly in the early days, doesn't pay especially well. You know, as you as you become more established, you can make a living. But uh, through those early days, really, you can make a part-time income at best. When I got married, I was working as a journalist and decided, no, this isn't working for me. I'm, I'm not particularly enjoying it. The money's terrible. Uh, so I decided to take a, a sales job um, just to make some some decent money. And I could focus on on my writing work, you know, in, in my spare time. You know, I was trying to sort of break into writing more for TV, that sort of thing. So... I did that in the cable industry, and um, I spent two years working door to door, you know, just knocking doors saying, um, you know, look, we've brought the cable network into your area. Let me tell you about what we can do with your phone, your TV, etc. And this conversation, it is, yeah, I mean, in in good weather, when you're going into a new area where everybody wants it, it's fantastic. But when you're in an area that's already been marketed several times before, and it's raining, and it's dark, and it's cold... That's yeah. a hard, a hard yeah. slog, you know. But surprisingly, I was doing quite well with this, and you know, because I've never seen myself as a salesman at all. I'm good, at, but I am good at tailoring solutions for people. But anyway, I digress. So I've been thinking a lot during this time around sort of um, around how we could improve the business. And there was one thing that really occurred to me was when we were going into these new areas, we were sometimes the enemy. Because, you know, the engineers had been in to put the network into the streets. They dug up the streets. They'd made a bit of a mess. There'd been a lot of upheaval. And then we were coming in to say, okay, now can we sell you something? So it occurred to me that what we should be doing is building ties with the community before we begin the sales process. And we had a community TV channel at the time called On TV. So it seemed to me that we could use that channel to strengthen those ties. And it could be as simple as, you know, we're going into this area so let's go to the local high school and see if we can film their school sports day or their school play or something like that or some kind of event that's happening in the heart of the community because then first of all we build up sort of good vibes with these people and secondly we're actually putting something on the channel that they can only get through the cable network so that we're also giving them a reason to uh, to, to take the service yeah Yeah. Um, and I think the intangible goodwill is actually more the more powerful aspect of that but you know So it just occurred to me that would be a a good thing to do. And by this time, after two years of selling, I was also thinking, wouldn't it be great if they could give me a job running that channel locally? Um, (laughs) Just uh, just a quick question, though, James. Was it VHS then? Could they record the channel onto a video cassette? We're going to blow some um, people's minds with that. Well, this was back in the late 90s, so it was probably all still done on Betamax or Steam or something <laughs> like that. I'm not yeah. sure. No, it was, it was still in the VHS days. So um, I, I put a proposal together. Um, now, our, our MD, uh, Terry, still is the most amazing leader that I've ever known. Um, he, he was incredible. I mean, he had 600-odd people working there for him, and any one of them would have walked through fire for him. He, he didn't bully his way through uh, through business he just inspired he had an open door policy i walked up to him one day when he'd given a, a talk to the sales team and said could i make a time to come and see you i've got a couple of things i'd like to discuss with you he said yeah brilliant absolutely and uh, i took this proposal to him 
he loved the idea, or but more than anything, I think he loved the way of thinking. So he said, look, I, I don't think that we'd be able to sort of get a budget to do something like this as much as I like it, but I really like what you're thinking of here. I like, I like the way you're approaching the, the issue that you've identified a problem and come with a very detailed solution to it. You know, everything's fully costed and loads of programming ideas. You know. And uh, he said, you know, leave it with me. And 10 days later, I was called in to see my immediate boss, who was the sales director, who said to me, okay, so we want you to go on to a uh, three-month secondment to our head office in Farnborough. So like I said, I'm in Cardiff. Farnborough is, you know, two, two and a half hours away. It's a long commute, as I found out, because I've spent eventually seven months driving back and forth from Cardiff every day. Uh, that was that was fun. I got to know every pothole on the M4. He said, look, we've got you this secondment. And it was Terry, the, the MD, had this chat with, with my boss and said, okay, let's keep an eye out for opportunity. And as it happened, we had a new marketing director in corporate who had decided that the, the marketing team's approach there was all a bit ivory tower and they wanted somebody from the ground level who could come in and give a different perspective. So what from you're faced with when you knock the door. Exactly. Yeah. Rather than sort of keeping things abstract and clever and witty as, as corporate marketing often does. So that you know I, I, we're about a thousand advisors around the country. So you know sales advisors. So um, to be picked out of that, uh, I'll be honest with you, it was very fortunate the timing of knocking his door and saying, you know, here's a proposal. Just when that opportunity was about to come up, I was very, very fortunate with the timing there. But the the result was I got the um, the three months bondment. At the end of that, they actually gave me a job as a national project marketing manager. So I was on a different career path. And after about four months there, I was moved back down to Cardiff, thankfully, and, and eventually became sort of business development manager eventually covering half of the uk network as we as the company grew um we took on sort of you know acquisitions other cable companies so eventually i was managing half the network you know across belfast and glasgow and across the north of england all from that one conversation so it's thanks to that conversation that i have the house that i live in today and that i started to learn so much more about sort of the, the marketing and the business development process and it's just from having the initiative really and recognizing that opportunities do not land in your lap as such. You've got to go out and make them. And I, and I acknowledge I was fortunate to an extent in this, but it's only because I made, I made something you made, Yeah, initiative's yeah. a good word, I think, James, mm-hmm. because a lot of people don't probably value the initiative that is needed. And, mm. and on the face of it, that idea that you had that you went in with didn't happen. So it doesn't matter how good the idea is. It's just the start or seed of an idea Mm. that grew into something else. So it's a bit like planting something and not knowing whether you're going to get tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes, Mm. onions. Yes. It really doesn't matter what it is that's going to grow. It's the fact that you've kind of put yourself out there to say whatever happens, I'm your girl or I'm your man or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's sowing seeds, it's making connections, it's showing people what you can do, rather than hoping that they're going to sort of say, right, who wants to do this? Because if that had been just sort of put out right across the country, you know, then I would have been one of hundreds and hundreds of people putting myself forward for it. But uh, I I, I think there is a good lesson there for, for anybody in a career or in business which is, you know, you've got to knock your knock down your own doors, knock, knock down the barriers yourself and pick what you want and uh, start having those conversations. The standout I, I, for me is that you said mm. that you left a journalist job mm. 
and went into sales. I bet it wasn't half what you thought it was going to be. And it was hard work to get even near the money that you wanted. I mean, in my first month in sales, I earned three times what I'd earned as a journalist. And it was only about 20% as stressful. You know, it was. Really? um, Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I I hated my life as a journalist. So that would be one of the reasons. But also, you know, the money was just so much better. And and it it was a relatively easy product for me just because, you know, I'm a lifelong telly addict and things. I just like talking about it. Um, So There's there's not many people that would say, hands up, you know, at school, I'm going to be in sales. You would say I'm going to be a journalist. But take the money aside from all Mm. of that. It's interesting that the skills that you had as a journalist have actually helped you shape into this new career path as well. So don't yeah. ever underestimate I, the skills that you've got. Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, in, in fact, that was the thing that made it work because they, when I got to the, uh, began the secondment, the first thing they asked me to do was to find out why customers were leaving. So, you know, whether it was it was a churn project, why are they leaving us either by disconnecting or by running up a bill and so that we switch them off? And I said, well, okay, you know, I'm completely new to the business environment here. The only thing that I have that I can apply is my journalist skills. So if I treat this as an investigation, I can do it and I can sort of report everything back to you. Was it it what they thought or was there another reason? There were different people dotted around the country who had different theories. And it was my job to travel around the country and talk to everybody and compile their, their theories on what it was and then look at the data and see how that aligned to the different theories and try and make some rational sense of the whole thing. And it was, uh, like I say, it was a completely new kind of um, fact-finding exercise for me, nothing I was used to at all. You know, I'd never even used PowerPoint at the time and had to sort of put it all into a presentation. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed to make a difference because then the senior managers had me sort of traveling all around the country again, delivering the presentation and delivering recommendations off the back of it. And uh, so it was, it was very much to do with the journalism side. And of course, when I left that job after nine years, everything I'd done previously in journalism married with all the stuff that I'd been doing in that job really to take me into the next part of the career. And, and in fact, this was the other conversation I was going to try and sneak in. Um, <laughs> Go on then, James. <laughs> because I, I, the, the, the second most influential conversation is one that I had with a recruiter not long after I left the cable industry. Um, he looked at my CV. I was about 36 at the time. He looked at my CV and said, it looks to me like I'm talking to two 30-year-olds because I don't know what you are. Are you a writer, a creative person? You know, by this time I'd had a few TV shows on as well, you know. So are you this creative person or are you a sales marketing and business development person? And that really hit home because, of course, I had very little sense of direction in my career. I'd just been, I like writing, I'm good at writing, this is what I'm going to do, and I was just drifting, you know. And this was where I finally settled on becoming a copywriter, that it's the only thing that makes sense of that diverse background that I'd sort of almost fallen into. You know, most copywriters come to it as a second career. It's not a good first career. You need experience in either sales or journalism or marketing. And I've managed to pick up experience in all three. Um, so, mold and shape. Yeah, exactly. So I decided to sort of retrain their qualifications and then start the business. But that second conversation there was all about sort of, okay, look, choose a direction now, use what you've done, focus, move forward. So that was also pivotal. 
Yes. Well, I would agree that with why you would choose that as a sort of backup to everything that you've done, certainly with the way that the conversation has gone now is that you've laid all your skills out, but everybody's encouraged to do that, aren't they? Put everything down, put everything out there, tell them what you can do. But then if that then leaves you with a confused picture and you can't tell the story in your head about how to then utilize those skills going forward, it was a great comment and remark for you to go oh I hadn't realized that I was giving that image off of myself Mm. yeah exactly and now when I sort of tell my own story you know if I'm meeting a client they say tell me about yourself or if I'm writing a biography I will very often start with that conversation then with the recruiter that critical moment James it's been a blast having you on the show thank you so much for sharing your story and your pivotal moment if people want to pick up the conversation with you where can they find you they could go to my website, which is uh, jamesthecopywriter.co.uk, and you can get a free copy of my latest book there, uh, which is called Before You JFDI. So it's about, you know, everybody's telling you to just jump in and just do something, anything. You know, And I'm saying, well, look before you leave, a little bit of planning before you sort of strap on a blindfold and say, OK, let's, let's try this will go a long way jamesthecopywriter.co.uk not.com because another copywriter called james beat me to that one by an hour to register in that domain so oh, don't go to him no <laughs> don't go to him it's .co.uk but you're on linkedin as well under jd copywriter as well that's right we'll put all the links in the show notes thank you so much again james for the listeners don't forget to send us your comments we do reply to every one of them share this with your friends and family and don't forget to subscribe the link as always is all the w's.makingconversationcount.studio forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.